Remain standing, please, and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I tell you, I have so enjoyed the book of Ruth and have received so many comments about how rich that study was. It was far richer for me as I worked through that, and really, we didn't tap everything that was there. But we are back in 1 Thessalonians. This is where we left off, and we will begin today with chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Now, this is part one. You'll notice on your, your outline, your worship guide, that this says part one. Um, we will go through 12 and 13, and then in rapid fire, we will consider what else the uh, Word of God has to tell us about how to become a healthy church. And if we are, to one measure or another, already healthy, then we can get better. And so I'm looking forward to this mini-series within the book of 1 Thessalonians. We start out with this, and uh, then we will go through the others in the weeks ahead. Chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Father, now we all need your help. Whether it's me, I need your help to express the things from these two verses of Scripture, the things that I've studied, the things that are necessary for us to understand how helpful this is to our church, any church. Lord, we also need your help for those who listen. May we, with eagerness, as we have been singing the Word, we have been reading the Word now, hear the Word. May it find its way into our hearts, and may we respond with joy to what we hear, and may we be changed because of it. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the local church, there are three strains of deadly disease that have surged, threatening the health of the church. Let me share with you what those things are, at least that I've discovered, not just over the past year, but over the past however many years it is, 40-something years of being in ministry. The first of those strains of deadly disease is called convictionitis. Hmm. It's horrible. It's terrible. Convictionitis. The second of those, just as bad, is called consumeritis. Now, don't worry that you haven't heard of these before. I'll explain the part of our system that they attack. And the third one is commitmentitis. By the way, they're not new. I said they've surged. 
They've been around since the beginning. They are truly pandemic, meaning they affect and infect churches worldwide. They are truly systemic. There is not a group, young or old, that can get away. No demographic can escape these three. And that's why we always have to be on our guard. And that's why Paul, in this letter to the Thessalonians, he gives us the vaccines that are necessary to overcome these. Let's just look at these just for a second. Not get real deeply into them, but convictionitis. I mentioned that was the first strain of deadly disease. It attacks the mind by allowing things other than the Word of God to form our convictions. Consumeritis. It's just as deadly, and it grows out of conviction-itis. That attacks our emotions, our feelings. All of a sudden, we begin living our lives in general, and our lives specifically in the church based on our preferences. Our preferences guide our decisions. Preferences are not wrong, but when they begin to guide our decisions more than God's Word... That's an infection, and it's deadly. And the last one is this, commitmentitis. It attacks the heart. So that people do not fully commit in love Christ's bride, the church. Would you agree with me that those three deadly strains are at least in part something that the church needs to be aware of? Now, looking back over the last year, we have blamed something else, a literal disease for all of these things. We've blamed COVID for this surge, just like we've blamed it for many other things. As I look at it, here's my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but really, the COVID and everything else that is going on around us has merely provided the opportunity for our response. So, let me ask you a question, and then I'm going to answer it throughout the course of this sermon. I hope to. How can you as individual Christians and the church, and and I say that because each of you who is part of the body of Christ, invisible and also visible as a part of Heritage Baptist Church, we need to be healthy. We need to remember that Jesus said in terms of the invisible church, He said, I will build my church. That's the vine. That's the organic part. And the church will continue. I hear a lot of stuff today, even coming from Christians, what's going to happen to the church? Well, mark down the words that Jesus said, I will build my church. But there's also the trellis, and that is the structure. We might call it the organization. We might call it the institution. And and here's a little verse that I would say from the New Testament is true of what is happening in a lot of churches. The writer of the Hebrews said, everything, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And folks, I do believe that in terms of the church worldwide, 
my perspective is of the church in America, in Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma City, but I be- and, and our church, by the way, individually, but I believe that there is a shaking and there is a winnowing. But if you go back to Jesus' promise, then we will come out the better for it. The only thing, really, the only thing that will be dangerous to us is losing our sinful tendencies. So let me give you the first. It's today. Now, I don't know if Paul had in mind that chapter 5, verse 12, you see a break there in your Bible because this represents a, a little bit different thought. He shifts to some things that the church needs to do to ensure health. I can't prove to you that it's chronological. In other words, that the most important thing starts at the beginning. But that would be logical. He would start with this because it is the most important, and then think of it as the initial shot, the initial vaccine. That if you don't have this, the other things are are not really going to matter. But after that, he gives 12 boosters. As far as COVID, we only have to have one. We're getting 12 of the boosters. And let me just go through you. After he has said, and we're going to talk about, you see it there, becoming a a healthy church, a whole church, is a matter of understanding leadership and followership. That's so important. But then he goes on. The second thing, admonish the undisciplined. Another translation says, admonish the unruly. Now, this is within the church, but do you think we need that kind of admonition? The third one is encourage the faint-hearted. Boy, wasn't Paul wise? Help the weak. Be patient with all of them. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in how many? Even though what happened last Tuesday didn't go the way you thought it would? Or November 20th or the riots that broke it? He says in all circumstances, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies and preaching. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Those are the 12 boosters that come after what we're going to look at today. So let's look at it. You've got the outline there. I've sliced it. Verse 12 and then 13, the first part of that verse, and we're calling this the mutual responsibilities between leaders and followers. We're talking about specifically the church. There will be a tendency in your mind, some of you, to stretch this out, and we're going to give an overview of that, but we're going to come back to where Paul really wanted this to land, and that is the church. Look what he's saying. He is saying, and if if, if you look at the language there, the, the verb that's given, he says, we are constantly encouraging you. We're doing it all the time. Why? Because you and I need it all the time. The reality, the truth about leaders and followers. But there's something else that he says. No one is left out. That's why he says we are constantly encouraging you all, or as we would say it here in the South, y'all. All of you. 
Well, it's important, important that we see that. Why? Because in the church, and this, this is the way we could stretch it out, in the church, everyone is a leader and everyone is a follower. Look at what Paul says. He combines those two positions, those two activities in one verse. Be imitators, follow me, as I am a follower of Christ. Leading, we could use another word. Let's use some biblical words. Leading or authority and following or the Bible calls obedience, submission. Listen to this. This is so important. These are God's ideas and not man's. I think when we come to this kind of a study, there are several things that go on in the, in the minds of, of those who are listening I say that because they go on in my mind. We have the idea that the church, listen, has borrowed leadership and followership principles from the world. But it is not that way. In fact, if the world, let's say that in your work, or you go to a community kind of teaching that teaches you about leadership, I don't know of any around that really teach about followership. That's a kind of a strange subject. But if you go to that and you receive something that is good and helpful and positive, do you know why? Because it came from the Bible. Anything good that the world is using that is truly helpful is going to come from the Word of God. So we didn't steal from the world, the world stole from us. And remember this too, everything that God does is good. It can't be negative. So they always go together, leadership, followership, like two sides of the same coin. God created, let me just step back, give you an overview, and then we're going to apply it to the church. God created different spheres of leadership and followership. Why did He do it this way? I don't know. He just did. Is there misuse and abuse? I'm just going to put the elephant right out there in the room, all right? Within all of these spheres, yes, and we're not going to get into that in depth today. We're just going to mention that it can happen because here's why. I may come back and say this later, so please listen. A lot of times when we are looking at what God says in these different spheres or realms about leadership and followership, we are tempted to make exceptions because of misuse and because of abuse of what God has made that He says is beautiful. So let's do this very generally. Let's look at one, two, three, four five different spheres, okay? Let's start out with this one. Citizenship. You, you could put another word in there, government. Now, I want you to see Scripture. I'm going to give another one. But you need to see this. Now, did God create? Am, am I saying this is the order? No. I'm just telling you so that you can understand that these are different spheres in which God has created leadership and followership. Romans 13, verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. Let every 
person. He's talking to Christians, but this applies across the board. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, in case you're wondering who that might be, we know the context in which Paul wrote this, and he's writing this to us in our context. It doesn't matter what context. The church in China, the church in Turkey, the church in Iran, church in Canada, church in wherever you want to go. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? This is one of the most important principles that we can say to you, to all of you. Young people, children, we'll come to the family in just a minute, but you need to see why God has said it's important, this thing of followership and subjection, for there is no authority. He's talking about government, but extrapolate that out. There is no authority except from God. You may think a lot of things about what's going on in government today. I do. And I don't like some of the things that I see. But I have to believe that I can never say about any man, he is not my president. If I understand what Paul is saying in that second phrase, there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, unless you are just, how can I say it, dead, there's got to be something going on. And I'm not going to answer all of your questions today about that. But pastor, what if and what about? I'm not even going to say what if the election was, oh, I almost said it. Because all you get is justification and people do doing what they've done since Adam and Eve in the garden. They're just pointing fingers and blaming each other. And that's why God gives this principle, and it's good for until the Lord comes back, and then there's going to be submission and authority, leadership and followership in heaven. Let's go on to 1 Peter. Peter gets in on this when he says in chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he gets personal. He calls out these people that we could apply it whether it be to emperor, the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This was applicable for early Christians in Rome. This is applicable today. Let's move on. We're, I told you, this is an overview that we're going to apply it specifically to the church. You got your questions? Call me this week. Seriously, or text, or whatever. Not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. Okay, so. Uh, second thing, family. Is there leadership and followership in the family? Now, what is everybody doing? They're looking at their kids. There's also a principle of leadership. This is husband-wife. This is parent-child. And this is very important. 
Let's move on. Get that, get that verse down. We're talking about family now. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Not somebody else's husband. Not to a pastor. That's one of the misuses and abuses. Springs up. Cult-like following. We're talking about that in our ABF class today. It's so easy. Celebrity status, all the rest of it. No, wives, we're going to define this. So this is what God says. We're going to talk about what that word submit means. It means submit, but it has a nuance to it. To your own husbands as to the Lord. So it's all connected back to God and what He says. Husbands, love your wives. This ups the ante. It's, it, it's harder for the guys as Christ loved the church. Do you kind of gulp and say, wow, that's to me? And gave himself up for her. And then let's let the kids get in on this. Family, children, obey your parents in the Lord. If they ask you to go and rob a bank, smile sweetly and say, I can't do that because I've given my life to Jesus And that would be a violation of one of his commands. But let me just say, your parents aren't going to tell you to go rob a bank, I hope. Okay, we got that covered? So it's just children obey your parents and the Lord. Why? Because it's right. It's just the right thing to do. We were talking about Boaz doing the right thing. Fathers, this is the other side. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's a minefield sometimes isn't it? To know exactly what to do. I, I love this story. It's a true story. Uh, happened a while back, but a mother was disciplining her son. She was really dressing him down in the hallway of their house. And he was there, I don't know, maybe nine, maybe ten, something like that. And, and so, she, she was really giving him what for, and she turned around, and she walked away from him down the hallway and turned the corner. And when she turned the corner, he put his hands on his hips, and he looked, and under his breath, he said, dummy. Now, is that honoring to your parents? No, I don't think so. And neither did his dad, who he didn't know, but who had walked up behind him during this conversation. So when the mom turned around and walked around the corner, the little boy thought he was all alone when he said, dummy, and his father was standing there. And he said, the father turned that little boy around, He looked up, the father, I'm not saying to do this, dad, but he got the point across, this is not just your mom, this is my wife. He grabbed the little boy by the collar, pressed him against the wall, and said, I think we've got an alarm going off. You're you're ready to hear the punchline, aren't you? Let's just find out if this is just a... Okay, yeah. You want to hear the punchline? This really happened. So the father just, 
said, he had him against the wall, little boys like this, and he said, who's a dummy? And the little boy said, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy. (laughs) Yeah, he really was. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. It's the right thing to do. Get it right. Work, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Can you believe this is in the Bible? Like I said, we're not going to explain a lot of this stuff. Hopefully you can, you, you can take this and apply this where it is today. Slavery is an awful institution, period. It existed in the time of the Apostle Paul, and he said very clearly, bondservants, workers, obey your earthly masters, your bosses, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Masters, do the same to them. You know what? This includes school. This includes sports teams and all the other kinds of things that are involved there. And then lastly, he mentions church. Now, this is one of the the verses that is used sometimes as a club. I'm not using it like that. It's in the the, the book of Hebrews where it says in Hebrews 13, 17, to you, be followers, obey your leaders. They lead, you follow, and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls, much like what it says in Thessalonians. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this then with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We'll get into that in just a little bit, a little bit deeper. And then every Christian. Every Christian has the responsibility of mutual submission. So one of the ways you keep peace and unity in the church, not unanimity, It's okay to have different ideas, but unity, the unity of the faith. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, a couple of questions, quick answers. This is interaction. Does God establish the principle of authority and submission in every sphere of life? Yes. Does He raise up and put down leaders? In government, the family, work, and church, the answer is yes. Does he always, always have a plan for doing so? Thank God for technology. Those of you who are live streaming, you have no idea why I'm stopping and what's going on. Our little alarm, which indicates there's a, some type of a... a sensor that's going off. It makes it beep like somebody's phone. I was looking around a minute ago, Uh, but it's going on. A little bit of a distraction, but not too much. I hope not too much. Another thing, does God always explain His plan for doing what He's doing? No. Now, this is not something you answer except just inside of you. Are you miserable because you don't like the leader that God has raised up to be over you? You don't have to answer that verbally. You just say this, the root of misery for many Christians, you look back in some of the verses, is that we have forgotten who we really follow. 
Remember the story of Joseph? I think he's probably one of the best examples of this. He experienced this on every level. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. By the way, he was under authority in all of those. He practiced good followership. He was lied about, put into prison. He was forgotten when somebody promised that they would help him get out of prison. And finally, elevated to a place of authority in the government. Here's why. Because he could trust God's design so that he could do the right thing to follow whoever it was in authority. He believed that God was in control of each situation ultimately to work out his plan of redemption. That's why when you get to the end of the life of Joseph and you see the rest of the story, he's talking to his brothers and he said, look, you had ulterior motives. You want me out of the way, but God meant it for good so that he could bring about many people should be kept alive as they are today. Far outreaching just his immediate family who would be saved from extinction, but looking forward to the Messiah. Look at that next phrase. Healthy followership is seen in respecting and esteeming very highly. I know that's a little bit of an awkward sentence. I didn't know how else to put it. Esteeming very highly your leaders. Here we're going to focus. We're going to zero in on the church. Let me just say this. I said a minute ago, all of you are leaders. Even you children that have younger siblings. Great leaders are made not born. Do you believe that? Now watch this. All of you are followers. Great, you may never have even encountered the word or the concept, but great followers are also made and not born. It happens as we are born again, we're filled with the Word, we're filled with the Spirit. That's why he says, all of you, talking about born-again believers, respect, esteem very highly in love. Webster's defines this word, follower, mission, to come or go after in order to catch, to chase or pursue. The Bible uses submit and obey. It's really a term in the Bible from the military that helps us to understand it. It means that when the says fall in, that we fall in if we're in the army and we follow his leadership. And so in one word, let me, if you're taking notes, you'll want to write this one word down. To be a follower means alignment. You are aligning yourself with the leader that God has put in your, in your sphere, whatever that is. Alignment. Some years back, Jan and I were speaking out of town. I was speaking. She was with me. And we were going to go over to the house of the couple that had invited us. And, and so he said, well, here, here's how you get to my house. He said, it's really, really easy. Don't you hate it when people do that? 
You go down four streets, there's a 7-Eleven. Turn left, go down to the stop line. There's an old car parked out in front. And then you go two, two more streets down, turn to the right, and then you... And I said, I, uh, let me get a pencil. And then he said, he said, I've got a better idea. Why don't you stay where you are? I'll come over there and you can follow me to my house. And it was easy. All I had to do was to keep his taillights in my sight. And I was home free. That's what the picture of followership is for a believer. Aligning yourself, following in another person's steps, or in the illustration, taillights. Okay, I know that there's the what if going on in some people's minds. But let me just say this. It's a posture. Alignment. It's a posture that you have. Whether you agree or disagree with the leader or like that leader or don't like that leader, it is a posture growing out like Joseph of your trust that God is doing something redemptively. So, are there abuses? Are there misuses? Yes. Am I telling you to stay in an abusive situation? Absolutely not. But what we do is focus on the exceptions so much. And who do you think wants us to do that? The enemy. We focus on the exceptions so that we don't get to the norm of good followership. And so we end up disobeying the clear command of God because your leader is not really abusive but just unfair or even unreasonable. Clear teaching of Scripture is this. And there's also clear teaching in Scripture of how to appeal to authority. And I think when it's time to leave a truly abusive situation. But that's for another sermon. Let's go on to the other side of that equation. We talked about followership. Healthy leadership is seen in working among, overseeing, and admonishing the church. Webster says leadership is to show the way, to direct by going before or along with. In a word, what was the word for followership? Alignment. Did you write it down? Alignment. In a word, leadership is influence. Influence. Soldier told this story, that he was on the firing line preparing to, to, to go out. He was on maneuvers. They were for eventual battle, and so they were, they were on the firing line, on their stomachs, in the dirt, and they were shooting, and then an aide behind them would provide them with ammunition, and they would keep going. And he was doing that for a while before he looked back at the aide, and it was the colonel. Dressed in his dungarees, down in the dirt, on his stomach. And the guy was so impressed, he said that later, because of that guy's influence, not just because of his position, which would have been enough, but because of his influence and leadership, every soldier would have willingly followed him into battle, even if it meant death. That's leadership. That applies to every sphere. But here we're talking to the church, and it starts out with, this is so cool, Honoring, esteeming everyone who works among you in the church. 
I, I think this is important. Let me give you a verse. That's everyone who works in the church. And there has been something that has happened. I, I don't know all of the reasons, but one of those reasons is because we have misinterpreted the word based on, and this is, I, I hate to burst your bubble about the King James Version. A lot of it grows out of the punctuation in the King James Version. Here's what the Bible says about leaders and what they're to do. He gave, that's God, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, that's our elders and our staff members that are the shepherds and teachers, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the ESV. But the King James put another comma in. That he's given shepherds and teachers, pastors and elders, to equip the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry. It's not as bad as it once was. But at one time, the only ministers in the church were the hired hands. And that's not what the Bible is saying. He's given gifted men to lead in the church so that we can be all equipped for the work of the ministry. Do we do the work of the ministry? Certainly. But if it is not shared throughout, and again, age, age is a, a part of this, all can be and should be ministers. Now, I'm not going to, to go long on this we have more of this in our Membership Matters class, which is coming up at the end of the month. And, and when we ordain new elders, I usually do a, a whole teaching to explain why do we have elders in a Southern Baptist church. That's out of the norm. Well, because it's biblical. Not only that, it is incredibly helpful. I can't tell you how many of my fellow pastors, many of them from Southern Baptist denomination, and they'll hear that we have elders, and they'll start asking questions, and they'll say, all of them, all of them have said, boy, I wish we had that. And I said, trust me, it is one of the best things going if you do it biblically. Spreads the work and mutual, not only accountability, but direction and all of the rest Again, we, we explain a little bit more of that in our membership matters. I encourage you to be a part of that so you can hear why we have adopted that. Verse 13, the last part of it. Let's just talk about this, peace. The church, both leaders and followers, are to be, the church is to be at peace with one another. All of the leaders and all of the followers. Godly followers will always choose to see their leaders in the sphere, going back to the Scripture, of in the Lord. They choose to see them in the atmosphere of in love. The leaders should be leading in the Lord, and that leading should be in love. And if that is happening, there will be unity in the church. And the church will be healthy no matter what is going on 
on the outside. You know what the biggest obstacle to unity we face, and I'm talking about generically in the church? Some of you will, will get this, particularly those of us who grew up in a Baptistic kind of, of church. The biggest obstacle in the church is something that we hold in high esteem. Our freedom, our, here's the word, our autonomy. Mm. And it grows many times out of a misunderstanding of a wonderful doctrine that Peter talks about, the priesthood of the believer. Now, what the priesthood of the believer means and what Baptists and, and others championed was that I don't have to have a human mediator between me and God. I can come to God only through the mediator of Jesus Christ. I don't need a human. But what that morphed into was an independent spirit, which not always, but many times, particularly when there is a topic in the church that is debatable, people will say, priesthood of the believer, I don't have to follow you as my leader because of that. And many, many times it causes so much division and heartache. A wonderful doctrine that produces that. Well, what's the ultimate example for this? The ultimate example, it should be obvious, is God's Son, Jesus Christ, who was both a leader and a follower. Jesus said to them, follow me. Is today's culture for you a minefield? Do you sometimes not even, you're, you're, you don't even know how to verbalize what you're feeling or what you think you ought to be feeling. The key is that every directive ought to be built on the template coming out of God's Word. If what I read at the very beginning is our call to worship, that everything we need for godly life and meaning is found in this book, then we can trust that if we follow Christ. By the way, do you recognize that? That's our memory verse. How are you doing on it? Let's say it together. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I hope you're doing the Bible reading plan with us. So he was a leader. He was also a follower because a follower is a servant, so is a leader. But he said these words, I am among you. Not just as the one who's the boss, I'm sure not going to lord it over you, but I am the one who leads you by serving. With that in mind, sometimes people have said, Pastor, I, I hear your teaching on leadership and followership, and sometimes I just feel like what you're saying to me as a follower is that i I've heard this from women, too, that I'm to be a doormat. In one sense, no. But in another sense, what do you use a doormat for? What? To wipe your feet. Was there somebody who was a servant leader who wiped the feet 
of people that he loved dearly and who went out and because they were filled with him, literally changed the world. And that's why leadership and followership is so incredibly important in your life and in the life of Heritage Baptist Church. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, I'm always amazed that through trembling, stumbling lips that your truth can come out. And I pray that, that the truth of your word would find its way into our hearts and produce the transformation that is needed so that this church can be truly healthy. And I pray that in the days ahead we would discover other admonitions that you give us that can help us become even healthier in our own relationships and government and citizenship in the family, at work, and in your church. So we thank you for that and pray now that if there is anyone in this room today that wonders what we are talking about, they've never personally received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. They would see in all its ugliness their own sin against you, their rebellion. And they would see the beauty and the wonder of Christ crucified for sinners. And they would repent of their sins. They would turn and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let it be so. That is our message. And that is our desire. So, Lord, help us now as we conclude this service with a few words of encouragement. From one of our missionaries, we thank you for his life and for his ministry. And we pray that we would listen uh, with not only respect, esteeming him very highly because of his work as a missionary and as an evangelist, but that we would respond the way that we need to. So, Lord, we thank you for that and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.